Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. And that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions and traveled. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew... For about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If, therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is a preacher in Houston that I have some questions about in terms of some of the things that he preaches and teaches, and I'm sure he'd have thoughts about me if he even knew who I was, and that's okay. A little while ago, though, I heard him do something at the beginning of a message, and I just thought, that was good. And so definitely, kudos where kudos are deserved. But Joel Olstein, and I don't know if he does this every message, because I'll confess I've not listened to every message he's preached. But he does this on a regular basis, and it would just be wise for us to do this today. He says this, I'm assuming, the time I saw it, holding up his Bible. The declaration, this is my Bible. Have you heard this? It's not cool. I am what it says I am. And I can do what it says I can do. And today I will be taught the word of God. I boldly confess 
My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I am about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I will never be the same. Never, never, never. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. And when I heard him do that, I went, wow. I may have some questions on some theological issues, but that's just good. This is the Bible. And I want you to just like own this for a moment. And I am who it says I am. Like I don't get to decide who I am. Think, think about this moment. Like I don't get to define me. One of the reasons why it's not good to let me define me is I'm only 51. Like I've not, I've not been around very long. Now, I know some of you are going, seriously? That's a long time, dude. I get it. It's just, I've never been alive as long as I've been alive today. I've never been as long, or alive this long before. But there's just so much I don't know. There's like even so much I don't know about me. We just sang a song, and I had never even noticed it. Maybe that's why Steve picked it. I have surrendered to your design. Like I know you just sang that. But basically what that says is, or what it should say, what it should mean is, like you designed me. Therefore, I'm not here even to be like self-actualized because how do I know what, who I am? How would I know? And our culture is trying to help us understand who we are. How, how do we know who we are? Well, we have like classes and parents <laughs> We have um, whole courses and curriculums, and we have parents, and we have, uh, I mean, I'm just so grateful for YouTube, because that'll help me understand who I am, and Facebook, and Twitter, and uh, I had this one professor, and I had this one really good friend, and she helped me understand who I am, because it's really important for me to know who I am. I mean, if you even think about it, your understanding of who you are was shaped and compiled, and then you, you bought it. And so it's easy for us to even go, amen, I am who that says I am. But it's amazing how often, like even when I read that statement, all I'm doing is just reaffirming what I already believe about me and then making the Bible say what I want it to say, if we're really honest. Is anybody else kind of at least aware of that? Can't we do that too? Can't we, can't we mean that? In a, I mean, he does actually. I've listened to a lot of Joel's preaching. A lot of what he does with that, he kind of is skewing in a particular way. And I can too. You don't have to live in Houston to do that. Canadians living in Oklahoma do it all the time. So then what can we trust if we can't trust a Canadian in Oklahoma? By the way, I'm not saying I cannot be trusted at all. But if you ever think for a moment that I'm asking you to trust me over this, there's been a miscommunication and I'll just assume it's my fault. Like, I can be wrong about who I am and I can be wrong about what it means to be a husband and I can be wrong about what it means, but this can never be wrong. That's what I believe. And um, my culture doesn't get to decide who I am. This decides who I am. Therefore, my, my goal or my quest in life 
is for me to have an always growing, ever expanding, deeper awareness and appreciation for what the Word of God says to me about me and about God. That in fact, revelation itself is a gift from God where we don't have to try to figure everything out by ourselves. Oh, the grace of God that says, when I was 18 years old, you know, and I'm going away to university and for the very first time, and I'm, and I'm really trying to, because I went a number of times for the first time, and when I'm trying to figure out who I am and what I want to be and the weight of that, do you remember the weight of that? I'm trying to find myself. And then I, I go through, I never had like a midlife crisis, but I know what it is to just to get, be 40-ish and kind of looking back on my life and going, wow, was it a life well spent? And I've just got questions and thoughts and ideas. And, and the truth is, like I've got all these pressures on me and they never stop. That it's easy to sing, I have surrendered to your design. <laughs> How many of you sang that and weren't even really paying attention to what you were saying? Because if we really believe that, what we really mean is, is that God, like, this is my Bible and I am who it says I am. And you are who it says you are. And my life is not for me to define, but for me to grow in an understanding of as you have revealed the truth about me and you. See, that's, that's why the Bible has come to us, to help us understand who we are and who God is and to sit especially in a university town and just just kind of let that soak in for a little bit because I guarantee you you've got a whole tradition of ideas that have molded and shaped who you are that are not scriptural at least I know I do and I grew up in a Christian home and I married a very godly woman. And we grew up and we, we've always lived in the church. And yet there's always this battle of who am I and who am I in Christ? I, I don't want to throw, and I, I really do. I'm, this is a whole other topic. I, I really think we got to be careful, one, of just kind of continuing to swim the, in the water that we're swimming in and not recognize we're swimming in water, right? Our culture. The other danger, which we're in, in, in uh, uh, that happens frequently, is that we're always just doubting we're fish, and we're always just doubting that we're in water, and there's just this never-ending pool of doubt and confusion, okay? I, I think both are crazy, to just somehow not be aware of, of the cultural uh, water in which we swim, and then to always believe that it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and more complicated. And how do I know that the matrix is real? And how do I know that this isn't another matrix, right? Like there's going to be another move and you're going to find out that there's another pill to take to understand that, that whole thing, right? We all kind of believe that. Doesn't this just keep going on forever? Let me, let me give you some scripture to hold on to. I'm going to throw it on the screen. It's from the book of Proverbs. And this is what the Bible teaches about just the way that we are. It says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Like there's a lot of people that look at the way that they're living and who they are, and it just seems like it's right. And the reason why they feel so good about it is because they're positive that it's right. 
And the Bible says, yeah, 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 that's actually, that, that's actually pretty common. There's a way that seems right that leads to death. See, one of the things that I love about the Bible is just how con- constantly it leads everyone, whether you're Solomon or a fool. It confronts both. Whether you're the Apostle Paul or just some confused man in Ephesus, the Word of God instructs and humbles both. There is a humility that comes with approaching the Word of God. That's, that's why it's good for us to stop and say, like, is my mind alert? And I'm, am I ready to, to submit today to what God's Word says? Not, not because Jim said it, but because it's God's Word. The writer goes on in the book of Proverbs to add this. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart. That's why I've never really understood why the whole statement that we... Have you ever been in an argument with someone and they make the statement, yeah, but you always think you're right. You ever leveled that at somebody? I always like to remind people, no, we all think we're right. That's why we're arguing. That's not just one person's opinion. Even when you say, you always think you're right. That's a claim that what? You're right and they're wrong. It really is a rather like useless point. You always think you're right. No, we all always think we're right. You know, you know what it feels like to be wrong? Remember that feeling? No, 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 no. Wait a second. Not that feeling. Not the feeling when you find out you're wrong, but the feeling when you have all these deep thoughts, but you don't know. Get where I'm coming from with this? See, we don't know what it feels like to be wrong and not know we're wrong. That's what the Bible gives to us. That's just what the the writer of Proverbs is getting to. There's a way that seems right that leads to death. That every way that we're devoted in, that is not informed, that is not uh, reconstructed by the scriptures, is just not the right way. And that's why we need revelation. We need the, 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 uh, the, the reminder and the power of the spirit to open up our eyes and to open up our minds and to open up our hearts and to even convict us. Jesus makes a statement about the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. That left to myself... That even all of us left to ourselves, we can construct ways of living and acting and thinking and relating to one another that in the end may never please the Lord Almighty. That's why we have God's Word. And so the Apostle Paul walks into the city of Ephesus and he realizes that he is surrounded by a lot of very intelligent, very capable, very gifted people who don't know the truth about God, who don't know the truth about themselves, and he dares to speak um, the truth to them, and they respond, and they respond in such a way, what I find so interesting about our text for this morning that Jody read, is that it's amazing that this group of people all of a sudden began to see that the the water in which they swim in, the air in which they breathe, the cultural way in which they look at the world is wrong and then change begins to take place. 
Like one of the reminders that you actually see in the scriptures is that when the word of God comes and when people's minds and hearts really are responsive, that a change takes place and culture doesn't know what to do with it. The city of Ephesus doesn't know what to do with it. Those people that worship in a different way, it begins to affect them. I don't know how much of this they really had planned. I doubt if Paul got together and said, how can we destroy the temple of Artemis? I don't know how much Paul really cared. His concern was that God was not being worshipped. His concern was that there were people living their own lives in a way that was not in accordance with the way of God. And the Apostle Paul spoke truth to them about God and about themselves. And then he offered the hope that only comes in the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then a transformation began to take place. And that transformation upset the city, the great city of Ephesus. It wasn't the Apostle Paul trying to find a cause. It was just Christians living a life of obedience to who Jesus is. And then the implications just happened somewhat naturally. That these new lives lived in devotion to God and to his word. So one one question that I just, there's no way to not wrestle with this morning is this. Is Is the culture that we live in, like already just so biblical and so redeemed and so God-honoring and so focused on the way of Jesus that really no additional change is necessary? Or, Or maybe have we, as followers of Jesus, I think it's at least worth our consideration. But are we just continuing down the same road, not aware, not aware of how much who we are and who God is and how we worship him, him has been deeply affected. Now, by the way, I, I don't think that we're just like searching in darkness because I do believe the word of God speaks and I do believe the Holy Spirit guides and directs. So this is not an aimless venture. And I do believe that a lot of us this morning should walk away from this text and from the message of this text greatly encouraged. But all of us should have a, a deeper sense of of appreciation and humility. Appreciation for God's kindness to us, his grace to us in giving us this truth. And a humility that says, and until my dying day, I dedicate my life to have a better and more more consistent and biblical understanding of me and my, and my life as a husband, and my life as a father, and my life as a friend, and my life as somebody who lives in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and my life as a, and it just keeps going on and on and on. Now, sometimes it's hard for us to recognize the change that's taking place. A friend of mine had, had really began to grow, and, and, and she was finding herself like um, uh, constantly being challenged by the Word of God and what God was saying to her, and she came to me one day, and, and, and literally, this is, this is how you kind of know you're, you're following Jesus well, is when those significant relationships around you start kind of getting a little bit up and down, like where they start getting a little bit difficult. She came to me and she said, I'm, I'm beginning to have some marital problems. And, and by the way, Jesus actually causes those sometimes, by the way. He said this, not just me. And, and she basically said, my husband says that the more that I love Jesus and follow Jesus, um, she, she said, she's, I'm changing. 
I told him I'm not. I told him I, I'm not changing at all. Um, I told him I'm still the same person that he married. I'm told, and, and I, I, I had to say to her, well, if maybe you quit lying to him. It'll be a little easier for you. And, I, you know, I'm not, had the same name, had the same birth date. But she couldn't even see that her life was changing. That her devotion to Jesus was changing. Like what she loved, how she spent her time, how she spent her money, how she, how she uh, raised her children. She couldn't see it. So it's good sometimes to be having, to have around you other followers of Jesus Christ um, to both encourage you with words like, I don't see you growing in, um, in obedience to who Jesus is. I don't see Jesus Christ being formed more in you. You're actually the same person that was, uh, was, was joined with Christ like five years ago. I'm not seeing much, much fruit. And, and you don't say that because you're like the judge of the universe. You just say that because you, your friend you love and you care for. And I know a lot of well-intended moms and dads, Andrea and I being in this list, who with the best of intentions just probably didn't talk as much as we could have or should have about the fruit or lack thereof in our children's lives. Because they're good boys. They're good boys. And we love them. And the Apostle Paul loves the people of Ephesus so much, he tells them the truth about themselves. So the, the Bible and, and this chapter within the book of, of uh, Acts looks like this. There are two roads. There are two ways. And there's the way of the world, and then there's the way of God. And I found it very interesting that probably where Paul is the most clear on this is in the book of Ephesians. He writes to the church at Ephesus. Now, by the way, this would have happened after the fact of this riot that took place. But the book of, Ephes of Ephesians, the book that he writes to the church at Ephesus, is a book that, is, um, that revolves around this particular, this particular idea. You once were, but now you are. That's how the book of Ephesians is written. You once were dead, chapter 2. You once were dead, but now you are alive. It says this, you once were aliens and strangers. You were foreigners of God's people. But now, by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are your family. That's Ephesians. You know, you once were a bunch of little children tossed back and forth. You weren't able to really think through things, not very discerning. But now, in the spirit, and, and by the way, kind of the building up as you understand who you are, you are becoming mature in Christ. That's Ephesians 4. You know, you once were darkness, but now you are light. That's Ephesians 5. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Paul emphasizes and reiterates the transformation that takes place in the life of a believer. You once used to go to the temple of Artemis, and now you are faithful followers of God. And that's how the Bible speaks to us and molds us and shapes us. And then the question that you and I have to ask is, like, are we responding to this? And so one of the ways to know this is to just kind of take a look down and see what kind of road you're on. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, one of my favorite verses, 
came to too far and too late in life. Examine yourself so that you might know you are in the way. Examine yourself. That's why it's, it's not, how are we going to ever know? There's always a way. Don't overthink Proverbs, by the way. Proverbs says, be careful and be humble so that you might know. It doesn't say, so we can never know. That would make no sense. It's just challenging us to approach the word of God or our circumstances with a degree of humility. Because the way of the world is complicated. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verses 1 through 3. By the way, I would say Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is a section of scripture. If you woke up every morning for a month and just read those 10 verses, it would be a good month for you. Because it's such a powerful, powerful, powerful description of the way of God and the way of the world. Verses 1 through 3, this is what the Apostle Paul says to the people at Ephesus. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. That's just two words talking about the sins that we find ourselves in. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, the way that the, the Bible and the way that the ancient world saw their, their manner of life or their lifestyle was like walking in a way. That's how, they would des- that's how they would describe it. The way in which you walked is literally just a euphemism for the way in which you live. It's a metaphor. It's the, the way that you walk is the way that you live. And Paul says, there was a way that you walked and you were dead in that way. You were dead men and dead women walking. And here's what it looks like. You're following the course of this world. You're following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived. So Paul's not just saying because you grew up in Ephesus. No, Paul says this is all of us. This is Paul restating like in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or another way to interpret that is God's glorious standard. So we have all fallen short. Notice how it happens. Among whom we all once walked, and here's how we walked, or here's how we lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. Now you might go, yeah, I've been to Vegas. I know what they're talking about. Actually, they're, I mean, I think it includes Vegas but actually it can include a lot of places. That's, I love reading what are known as the vice lists where the apostle Paul uh, gives a list of sins and he talks about like debauchery and sorcery and, and, uh, um, and then he'll, he'll start talking about like envy. Hey, that's, that's me. How'd that get on the debauchery list? How did I get on the evil lust list? No, 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 no. I just, I just don't like certain people. I just... Hold on to grudges. I'm a good person who just happens to hold on to grudges. Like, I'm just a little divisive. I'm not like evil. This is what the Bible does with with these lists. Yes. Did you hear that scream? It makes us all a little uncomfortable. The passions of our flesh. Carrying these things out, it's not just sexual immorality. Although I would say it includes that. But it's the, it's the lust in the flesh. Oh, you know, I'll tell you, I'm just a person that remembers when you wrong me. Do you know that passion in the flesh? I just, I hold a grudge. 
That's the passion in my flesh. I remember. I keep names. It's not just about sexual immorality. It basically is just you living at the center of your life and you deciding what you're wanting to do. And you, for whatever reason that you want, because you're scared, because you're hurt, because of your past, because you're smarter than everybody else, because you're better, whatever it is, it still all resides in you. And it's about your passion and your desires and your way of life because you know. And Paul says, that's the way of the world. And you don't just have to go to Vegas or Sodom and Gomorrah to deal with it. The problem is in here, the Bible teaches. And and notice where this leads it. You've lived in the passion of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And we were, by nature, children of wrath, (laughs) like the rest of mankind. Like, I I know that your mom said that you're great. And and by the way, I I really am. I'm I'm the product of that great generation that has been, been constantly told that I'm okay if you're okay, that, that all of humanity really are generally good. We got a few bad apples here and there, but since Hitler, there hasn't been that many. And we just keep, and, and by the way, like I'm a product of that generation. And I just have one question. You don't explain the world well to me. Like you don't even explain me well to me. Like I know how broken I am. Can I just be honest? Like, I know how selfish I can be. And so for you to just call me good when I know something is broken, I just don't believe you anymore. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Thank God for his word. that speaks the truth. Because everyone else, they just feel like, God bless her, like my third grade teacher that was really trying to be nice and kind. And then I just, I kind of knew it wasn't real. That's why I really want us, I desire for us, we as a leadership here, desire for us to be a church that speaks the truth. That left to ourselves, we are, we are objects of wrath, we are selfish people bent on our own destruction, and we don't even know it, and that's the way of the world. And also, thanks be to God that it doesn't end there. Like God sent Paul and his companions, and notice the list of them in, in Acts 19, right? To walk into this town, and most of us probably would have seen that huge 127-column theater to Artemis and went, well, there's no way the gospel's going to work in that town, right? Kind of like what I thought whenever I go to these huge cities that don't seem to be very interested in Jesus, walk up to these huge Buddhist temples in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and just think, wow. This must be such a hard place to preach the gospel. It's funny, my buddy who lives there sees this as a great opportunity for people to hear the truth. (laughs) The way of God. I love it. I can stay in Ephesians and I don't even need to move. Just next verse. We are, by our nature, objects of God's wrath, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Notice where it begins? That's why when someone says to me, you don't understand what I've done or you don't understand my past or you don't understand my sin, I'm like, sure, I guess I don't. But God does. And look at what he did. This isn't about your sin problem. 
This is actually first and foremost about the goodness of God being demonstrated to us in the midst of our sin problem. Notice how the text does not say, we were dead in our sins and then we figured it out. And then God said, okay, now that you figured it out, I will help you. No, no, no. There's no way to figure it out. We're dead. What does the Apostle Paul say? But God, because he is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. That's one of my favorite verses in Scripture, and it really even helped me be a, be a better dad. It's found in the book of Romans. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Think about that for a moment. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. See, I thought it was, you know, like a big stick. I thought it was like a threat. I thought it was like the warning. Interestingly enough, the Bible has those, but Paul makes it very clear what, what overwhelmed him was that God loved him even in the midst that Paul was a broken, rebellious person following his own evil desires. And Jesus Christ came and said, I love you and I want you to follow me. And he included Paul, not because Paul figured it out, because Jesus knew Paul couldn't figure it out. And Paul went to Ephesus, not because he knew the people there would get it, but he knew that when the gospel spoke, that the kindness of God in Christ, by the way, would reorder their understanding of themselves, their understanding of God and their kindness in Christ, his love, his mercy, in the midst of their death, in the midst of their immaturity, in the midst of their darkness, would lead them into light. That's the gospel. And so what caused this riot in Ephesus? A bunch of really broken people who became completely overwhelmed by the kindness and the goodness of God. That it freed them from living selfish lives for themselves into a life of obedience to who Jesus Christ is. Look at verse 5, still in Ephesians 2. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And then that great line, right? By grace you have been saved. Isn't that important? By grace you have been saved. So this wasn't about Jim being a good person. This isn't about, see, this is why we have this way of the world that is terrible and destructive. And then we have the way of God. And then I know a lot of very religious people that just try to create a religious way. Basically trying to clean up the worldly way. But you don't need Jesus or God to do that. No, you can have lots, there are lots of great world religions that create a new religious way. It just doesn't have Jesus at the middle of it. It doesn't have God's grace as the foundation that we walk upon. It doesn't have the presence of God and in his holiness as the destination. It's just you being a better person. It's just you just trying to be a better wife and a better husband and a better parent. And we're going to be like better citizens. And it's about the moral majority. And it is about just right living. And it is about family values. All of those lead nowhere. Do you know that? This is why I think it's so complicated for us to recognize the, 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 the cultural soup that we swim in. Because in the end, all we've done is kind of, re, 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 we've rearranged the furniture in this, in this room that is destined to burn. And we think we've accomplished something instead of having Jesus Christ at the center. But what we see at Ephesus is Jesus Christ at the center. 
Like we see a different way of living. And, and, and that's the part that I love about this. Like all of this, by grace we have been saved through faith, that has now freed the church at Ephesus to follow Jesus faithfully. There's the way of the world. There is the way of God. And what does the way of God look like? It's the way of Jesus. Him as Savior and Him as Lord. That is why the baptismal, and, uh, the baptismal imagery that we have is so valuable. Because when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and by grace I was saved through my faith, trusting in Him, um, and then I went down into the water, and, and my dad who baptized me uses words like, and now you're dead to yourself and alive to Christ. And now um, that which was old has been buried, and that which is new now comes to life. Like it made it very, very clear. Like I was leaving something behind. That's why it's good to go back and to rethink your baptism. Because I think if, 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 if a lot of us are honest, it was far more of a, and now I'm ready to do the next step in my spiritual walk. And now I'm ready to, uh, to experience the benefits of being a uh, person who goes to church. No, baptism is, is, is death. And being raised is a new, new life. And, and it's about the way of Jesus. That's why I think it's so fitting that in the book of Acts, to be a Christian is to be one who follows the way. That's the way it's described. Acts 19, I'll just kind of read a few verses from that text. Acts 19, this is the statement made by the man whose life is unraveling because Christians are going, yeah, we're not playing that game anymore. We're not doing that anymore. And there, were, there began in that city economic hardships because Christians weren't playing the game anymore. Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth and these people aren't playing by our rules anymore. Like they're not going by the way that we used to live and that's not good. In the Roman Empire, if they liked anything, it's just keep everything going along the same. No one upset anything. But if you're a follower of Jesus, everything is upset. And, and you see in here, he says in verse 26, that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that our trade is in trouble, but that may come to disrepute, all the, uh, but also that the temple of the great god Artemis may be counted as nothing, which is one of the seven wonders of the world, by the way. And that may, she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship, which I find fascinating because as these are just Christians with a whole new way of looking at themselves. And I, I want you just to like, think about this for a moment. Christians who don't see themselves the way the world sees them begin to upset everything in its culture. And I just have to ask, so either everything in our culture is going along and has already been redeemed, or else we're not seeing it. And, and outside the scope of this message is for us to answer all those questions. I don't even think it's my place, to be honest with you. I think it, as a Christian community or you inside your family, it's good to use the scriptures to pursue these questions and to ask, hey, sweetheart, 
How do you see yourself? How do you view yourself? And are you more influenced by like the Bible or by culture on how you see yourself? Hey, son, I just, I want to ask you an honest question. Like the way that you look yourself, the way you see yourself in the mirror, the way that you see yourself. I mean, do you see yourself the way that the world sees you or do you see yourself the way that the Bible sees you? Do you realize how many like problems we could overcome by just allowing the word of God to inform our thinking in terms of who we are, our identity and our purpose? And these are people that are about the way and going along in the way of that. Acts 19.23, Luke says, There arose no little disturbance, which means there was a big disturbance, concerning the way. Paul, when he describes his original fight in Acts 9, says this, but, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, that's Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. It's very interesting that in Acts chapter 13, when the Apostle Paul has now been converted, you actually have this, 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 this confrontation that exists. And the Apostle Paul says to a man, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Literally, it's the same word, the way of the Lord. See, the, the church confronts crooked paths. The, wor- the church confronts with the word of God that which is broken, consistently and passionately reminding people of who they are and then ultimately who they are now in Christ. That's what it means to be Christian is to view ourselves and to view God in a different way. And here, here's what I love. This text isn't like a, a lesson. If, 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 uh, I'm not, I'm, there probably is actually a book somewhere where somebody took this text and then made it into like a, a lesson plan on, on how to be a better Christian by, by stirring up a disturbance, a disturbance in your town. That's not even the point of the text. They're just living their lives. They're just taking seriously what the Bible says. And that is our goal this morning, to allow the truth The truth about God, the truth that is found in this word, mold and shape who we are. One of the companions, Paul's companions are listed quite a bit here in this text. One of the most well-known companions of the Apostle Paul is a gentleman by the name of Timothy. And the church in Corinth was so broken and was so messed up. It's very interesting that the Apostle Paul didn't say, well, hey, tell you what. Um, now that you guys know the truth, good luck. One of the things that I have found in, in my years of following Jesus, two things that have surprised me, one of them is this, is just how many followers of Jesus Christ still need help learning how to live their lives in obedience to him. And alongside of that is how much I need that. How much I still need good examples of godly men and women to help me understand what it means to be a person of the way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, look at what it says. 
there's a brokenness in Ephesus or in, in Corinth. There's a there's confusion in Corinth, and the Apostle Paul says, So that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Listen, like there's nothing wrong with a really valuable and important quiet time with you and your Bible. That's just never the full way in which God intended to transform you into Jesus. So I would say, moms and dads, your influence and your value to your children is ongoing and ever-present. Grandmas and grandpas, friends, brothers and sisters, it is so important that we become like a Timothy, helping others who do not know the way, what it means to walk in the way. If we're ever going to upset, and I mean this in the truest and biblical sense, if we're ever going to be faithful and upset the culture around us, it really does happen as we become Timothys to one another and Pauls to one another. But lastly, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul makes this very bold statement, and I want to end with this as it kind of guides our thoughts um, into our continued worship and gathering around the Lord's table this morning. The Apostle Paul says this, do not be conformed to this world, no matter what they say, and no matter how they say it, and no matter how many times they tweet it, or know how many friends like it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing, and that's why it's so important, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And what's interesting is that people are going, the will of God, wow, that got deep. Well, sure. But you do know that the will of God is the way of God. The will of God is the way of God. That you might know who Jesus Christ is in his love for you and that you might follow him faithfully. That is the will of God for you. That you might have peace with him in Jesus Christ and that you might continue to walk in his way. We don't need to find causes to make a disturbance in our culture. We just need to take Jesus at his word and faithfully follow. Let's pray. God, thank you for your kindness to us in Jesus. And I pray that God, our hearts and our minds would be open as our declaration began. That God, we would know of your love and of your grace and mercy. And we wouldn't have to hide or lie or deny our sin. Instead, we could bring it to you knowing that you are rich in mercy and great in love. And that, God, we wouldn't have to try to find some alternative way of living a religiously good life, but instead we would find life in Jesus, who said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Thank you for the peace and the joy that comes in Jesus. And all God's people said,